Welcome to Reconceive with Deborah Cox and Tracy Maxfield. Over the next hour, Deborah, Tracy, and their guests will help you understand therapist burnout and how to feel better now. Listen close to bring vitality back to your practice. Now, here are Deborah and Tracy. Welcome to Reconceive. I'm Deborah. And I'm Tracy. And today we're going to talk about how we suck at what we do. We suck. <laughs> and we hope you listen to our sad, sucky, stupid podcast, <laughs> even though we're not sure why you would. Welcome to our sucky show. <laughs> this is about getting down on ourselves as helpers, how it happens and what to do about it. Whether you're in education, human services, or healthcare, you will face times of feeling like you suck at what you do, or even as a person. Clinicians, coaches, and educators work is so intertwined with our feelings of being a good enough person. We are vulnerable to lots of hazards that can induce feelings of suckiness. <laughs> <laughs> and we've had a lot of feelings of suckiness lately. That's how this show got inspired. Um, and we asked our friends to share with us some moments in their own professional lives where they felt like they sucked. Uh, and so I want to start with a, a letter from Alicia, who is a therapist in private practice and also um, a, an adjunct instructor at a university. And Alicia says, Dear Deb and Tracy, many years ago, I got a contract to provide mental health counseling to folks diagnosed with HIV and AIDS. At this time, HIV wasn't easily treated and many people were still dying from it after being diagnosed. Many people thought folks with HIV were dangerous. They were afraid to touch or be touched by someone with HIV or who may have even suspected might have the diagnosis. People with this diagnosis were often lonely, frightened, and even shunned by their own families. The agency gave me the book, The Guide to Living with HIV Infection by Bartlett, Bartlett and Finkbeiner. So I studied. <laughs> I learned about HIV, the disease process, the treatment options, side effects, outcomes, interventions, blood tests, medications, and costs, trying hard to learn about this disease. When I finally got my first client from the agency, I reviewed all that information. I made sure I remembered the difference between viral loads and CD4 counts and could rattle off the lists of medication trials that had been used. I probably even knew their statistical outcomes back then, and I was a nervous wreck. Running all that medical data in my head felt like preparing for a trigonometry test. You know what I didn't know? Anything about my client as a human being a living, breathing, loving, aching, lonely, funny, sad, happy, angry, calm, thinking, planning person. I had been so busy worrying about learning a diagnosis that I had forgotten to remember what counseling is all about. That client reminded me what counseling is about, though, not by telling me this in some formal discussion, but by showing me that HIV was not their therapy issue that day. It wasn't that HIV hadn't impacted their life because it had. Clients with serious or terminal illnesses will certainly be impacted by those illnesses. What happened is that this client came to counseling for the same reasons most clients do, to talk about relationships, grief and loss, trauma, anxiety and depression, 
coping skills, stress management. HIV came up as part of these issues sometimes, but my knowing about CD4 counts was not part of the test that day. My being present, focusing on the human being sitting with me, genuinely feeling and showing unconditional positive regard, that is what mattered. And that is what always matters. Signed, Alicia. Thank you, Alicia, for that very candid account. I relate to it. I do too. The uh, the focus of our education, you know, is on, in a manner of speaking, the mechanics of therapy. Yes. Um, At least for a massage therapist. But I was listening to a great massage therapist who does a lot of teaching, and he said, I listened to this a couple of years ago, he said, uh, ultimately, it doesn't matter what you do. And his point was, the relationship that you build or that you build with your client is really often the most important part of uh a helping relationship. Yeah, it absolutely is in my mind. And I guess when I have felt like I sucked the most, I was off in some way with that, the relationship part. Yes, that's probably true for me as well. It's it's such an important part of what we do. It's it's huge. It's sort of everything. It is. But but so this sort of got me to thinking about how I have screwed up in the past. And um, I thought about my schedule and how I have double booked myself at times and um, ended up with two people in the waiting area at once and having to decide which one do I send away. (laughs) (laughs) And then, of course, I have to comp both of those sessions (laughs) and feeling like just an utter failure. How did I manage to do that? Did it just slip out of my calendar? That is one of the worst feelings as a therapist. (laughs) Terrible. And then uh, one other way we suck, and we've sucked in this way (laughs) since the first episode, is (laughs) by not acknowledging Margareta. Oh, Margareta. The painting you see in the background, she puts on a new outfit every time we do a podcast and uh, she's getting a little irritated that we haven't introduced her. Oh, so okay. everybody, this is Margareta behind us. And our listeners actually can't see her right now, but later on when we're on YouTube, you'll be able to see Margareta. Yes. She's amazing. <laughs> she's amazing. Um, another way in which we sometimes suck is when our numbers are down and we feel like everybody else is doing a huge business we're seeing lots of people or their clients return or their patients think well of them. And I suck. My room is empty. Yes. that. So I've been in this profession 12 years and it's always been a roller coaster mm-hmm. as far as I've never had a, a, a business where my numbers stay constant. Uh-huh. It's always my numbers go up and I'm like, Woo-hoo! and yeah. the numbers go down and I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is the nature of being in business for yourself. It is. You'd think I'd get used to it, but it's always very stressful when the numbers drop. It is. And, and even if I have wanted the numbers to drop a little bit to get a break, 
when they do drop, because I have scheduling fairies in the universe, so they take care of me. And so the numbers will go down when I wish for them to go down. And then I'll wonder why they've gone down. What's wrong? I do the same thing. I think, okay, I need less, fewer clients and they drop and then I'm like worried anyway. Yeah. But I think I have those scheduling fairies as well. Do you have Mm -hmm. scheduling fairies? They're wonderful. Um, Another way in in which I have felt like a sucky therapist um, is by saying something accidentally um, or not so accidentally, but just saying the wrong thing, having the wrong word. Um, and so I'm going to try to tell a story that's really painful, but um, it illustrates how badly I can mess up. I was working several years ago with a woman whose son had died. He was a young adult. <clears throat> and so since I also have a son, it um, freaks me out to work with people who who have lost a son. Um, it just is so close to home. It You can probably hear my voice quake as I begin to tell the story. So I was already kind of compromised that day. But um, in EMDR, there is this concept of when your client is overwhelmed with something or when you need to close out a session, you run out of time and you don't have time to completely finish it. There's this idea of the container where you want to help somebody put their distress or put their problem or their their overwhelm, their grief, or even the situation into some kind of holding environment so that they can, you know, leave your office and be okay and drive home safely. And so I had been looking at the clock and also feeling very rushed, knowing that there were a couple of people waiting in the waiting room. And I said that word. And I, I turned to her and I knew as I was saying that it was the wrong word to say. And I, I was asking her, should we find a container? As I uttered that, that word now, I feel how off that word was, how terrible it was. And how had I been in her place, which I cannot even stand to think about. Um, and somebody offered me a container. That would be so crushing and devastating. I would never want to see them again. And I knew as soon as I uttered that word, it was the worst thing. And of course, I never saw her again. And my background is massage therapy. So I do talk during my sessions, but I've had similar experiences, but mainly with touch. So in the beginning, I had an attitude of not taking no for an answer, which looking back on that, it was part of my development. But for a a body worker, so-called body worker, I I think it's a bad idea to have an intention of not taking no for an answer. (laughs) It sounds really treacherous. It is. Yes, no doubt. Um, I'm going to fix you. Right. No matter what, in spite of yourself, you're going to feel better. Uh, But at night when I would get home, I would have these panics, panic attacks. Mm -hmm. And I would think, what what have I done to these people? (laughs) 
and luckily, you know, I never injured anybody, but uh, it was a horrible feeling. That would be a horrible feeling. Um, so sometimes we work with people that are help rejecting. Have you ever had that happen? Where no matter what you try to do, it's not the right thing? Oh, absolutely. And it, as the longer you do this work, the easier it becomes at least in my field, and I think yours as well, to recognize changes that are happening in the session with your client that are positive changes. Yeah. But then you ask them if they notice a difference, and you can tell the answer comes a little too fast. Mm-hmm. They just say no, no. very quickly. Uh-huh. So you, you you realize that you're recognizing changes, but they're not willing to take the time to try and notice a difference. Right. That's very frustrating. And even though you can see that that might be your, your patient's pattern or your student's pattern, you can still feel stupid and very just inept. Yes. And along with feelings of rejection... Rejection, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, those clients are very tricky. They're very tricky. Yeah. So there are a number of elements here um, to feeling sad and stupid and feeling like I suck and I should get out of this profession. The world would be better off if I was not in this profession. Um, getting affected by other people's energy. And sometimes that energy is pretty bad. Um, if you're working with people who have personality disorders, you're going to be constantly confused and constantly feeling inept because, yeah, whatever you do is not going to be the right thing. And I think the more competent you become as any kind of helper, the more complicated the cases you will be seeing. Mm -hmm. So probably everybody will run into clients that have true personality disorders. Absolutely. Yeah, they're way more common than we than we think. Um, so, so elements of this, responding to other people's energy, making mistakes of our own, um, feeling incompetent, lead us to kind of isolate ourselves because we're embarrassed about it. I think my telling this story about my use of the word container and, and the effect I think I told you first, and I hadn't uttered those words. I hadn't said that to anybody. I felt so ashamed about it. We get really shamed and isolated by these things. Yes, I become very secretive about the things that, the mistakes that I feel I've made in my practice. Yeah, which just makes it feel worse. It does, it does. Just alone. Um, And so then we withdraw we go into something called condemned isolation, which we've mentioned on the show before. And we'll talk about again, that horrible shamed place where it's like you want to hide in your closet and you're sure that everyone else is doing a better job. Right. And even though our podcast, our radio show has been about reaching out and finding others that you can co-regulate with, you know, people you can tell these things too, I still find myself practicing condemned isolation Mm -hmm. almost automatically. Me too. Yeah. It's like a reflex. So I want to mention a book here. 
um, by Thomas Scovolt and Michelle Trotter Matheson. It's called The Resilient Practitioner, Burnout and Compassion Fatigue Prevention and Self-Care Strategies for the Helping Professions. And so Scovolt and Trotter Matheson are writing to teachers, counselors, physicians, nurses, all of us. And when we come back from the break in a moment, we're going to talk specifically about this book and what they call hazards of practice that will help our listeners, we hope, sort of identify how many hazards there are and how easily you can fall into them because you're human. Great. Okay. So let's take a break and we'll be back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Burnout takes a toll on your effectiveness with clients, patients, and students, even your kids. Reconceive brings help for all the gifted helpers out there who want to make a difference, but first need to feel better, more awake, and more creative. Deborah Cox and Tracy Maxfield show you a whole new way to think about mental health and the body, offering insight and inspiration to help bring back the vibrancy and joy to your work in the world. If you teach, do therapy, or provide any kind of human service, it's time to reconceive. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. On Living Strong, the flip side of adversity, Dr. Veerdra Jackson presents stories and powerful guest experts from business, health, relationships, and faith. Every story has its flip side, and we are here to delve into the story and challenge you to view what has kept you in a singular mindset and turn it into the flip side. When you can effectively do that, you'll experience necessary growth. Tune in live every Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You're listening to Reconceive with Deborah Cox and Tracy Maxfield. Have a question for Deborah, Tracy, or their guests? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now back to Reconceive. Welcome back to Reconceive. We're talking about how we suck. Yes. <laughs> how, how stupid and sad and sucky we are. And we're talking now very specifically about the hazards of practice that make us feel that way. Yes. And the first one we're going to talk about is how clients, when they come to you, often want a very quick solution. So we disappoint people, clients, when we offer them this idea of slow success, that 
change and improvement is actually something that takes time. Mm -hmm. And I find it very odd because people that come to me, I'm a massage therapist, but I only work with people who have pain or dysfunction. I don't do relaxation massage. Uh, what I do is try to help people with pain complaints, movement problems, and some emotional problems that are associated with those. And coming to me, they, for some reason, expect very rapid improvements. Mm -hmm. Whereas if they go to a doctor, it seems like their expectations are lower. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of perplexing that the people with more training have, when clients go to them, their, their expectations are of a slower healing process. It's interesting the way you said that too, people with more training. I consider you to have more training than anybody I've met. I, I do have a lot of professional development. I, I thrive on education. Yeah. But those are those are continuing education classes for the most part. And what I'm talking about are, are physicians and MDs or even PhDs like you that have more training that is higher in held in higher regard. Okay. A credential that commands a certain respect. Yes. And and so you're saying it's ironic that they will go to their MD, these people who want a quick fix, but they will expect they have to take medicine for a long time or have a surgery or there's going to be a process. But with you, it's like you're a wizard. Exactly. You should make it go away now. Exactly. Yes. So sometimes we can't help because we're not the right person at the right time. And this is really tricky for those of us who work with the vaporware of emotion, because surely, surely we can help everybody. And it's actually not true. It, it actually depends as much upon the person coming in as the practitioner working with them. Yes, we hope we can help everybody. But after doing work like we do for even a very short amount of time, you realize very quickly that really no therapist, no helper helps everybody. That's true. And we're going to switch it up because I think Deborah has a better take on the third one. So go ahead with that one, will you? The readiness dance. There's often a readiness gap between our clients and us. And what does that mean? Well, as soon as my client walks in the door, I can imagine the possibilities for them. And um, you have probably read Norcross and De Clementi and their stages of change. If you're not familiar with that literature, it's just about literally the stages of being ready to make change. And depending on where your client is, you know, you may have all the wonderful visions in the world about their success and their well-being, but they may be very far from where you are in being able to imagine it, much less do anything to get there. Thank you for taking that. I do recognize that when you talk about it. Mm -hmm. I have worked with people with that readiness gap. Yeah. Uh, so thank you for that. Yeah. And often people ask for help because they have seemingly unsol unsolvable problem that must be solved. 
So approach avoidance situations Mm -hmm. such as can't live with him, can't live without him. Yeah. Which stuck on the fence. Yes. Can't move either direction. Yeah. So as a therapist, that can be seemingly impossible to help those people. Yeah. Yeah. And it's easy to get caught yourself sitting up on that fence with your client. Yes. It's so hard to come down from it. Um, So number five, working with individuals who are not honor students. And that's a polite way of saying not very smart. We might get clients who are not very, very smart. It's not nice to say that, but it's true. It it is true, and a lot of ha- a lot of it has to do with the educational system we're raised in. So we have our cognitive abilities, which are really prized among people, but we also have emotions. We have our bodies that experience sensations, mm-hmm. and we have m- movement. Mm-hmm. So m- being not very smart or honor student (laughs) includes all of those aspects of being human. That's true. So we don't even have to think of it as a permanent disability. We can just think that sometimes we're going to be working with people who are disconnected from their own abilities to learn. Exactly. And that's going to make our job harder. Yes. Um, So next, those we try to help may have motivational conflicts. Oh, yeah. They might be sent to you by other people. Mm -hmm. So most of my clients are referred to me. And what I do is very different from what other therapists do. I focus on the information gathering side of the equation, Mm -hmm. where most therapists focus on output or structural problems. So they come to me, they see what I do, and it's so different from what they expect that they just basically disregard it as never being able to help. So like whoever referred them to you had a great experience, but it's like trying to give a good book to your friend. You might have had a wonderful response to this book, couldn't put it down, but your friend may not be able to read it at all. Right. And another issue with this is secondary gains. So if you're working with somebody who is on disability, let's say, for post-traumatic stress disorder, they have a motivation inherent in that to not get better. And so you may be able to see how they are getting better and and improving. You may be able to read it in their body language and, and the narratives they tell you. But they may say, I'm not feeling any better. I'm not getting any better. Right. Sometimes it's shocking because as therapists or as helpers, quite often we see the changes and we're surprised that they can't recognize those differences. Right. It's demoralizing. It is. It's very frustrating. So then sometimes our clients project negative feelings onto us. Um, just like seeing seeing us as representative of, um, let's say, all women or all men or all helpers or projecting feelings onto us that they actually have for a parent who hurt them. 
And so we're the bad person where if we are all women, then we're all those women that rejected them in the past. Right. And this is, don't underestimate this as a helper. Um, the first 10 years of doing the work I've been doing where I was working more mechanic with the mechanical system, I was less vulnerable to these negative feelings, but now that my practice includes the emotional aspect of pain, it's very easy to get caught up in those negative feelings. It really is, even if you know better. So the next several, um, uh, and I'm going to ask that we kind of lump some of these together, okay? given our time, um, they have to do with how big people's problems are. And sometimes a patient or a client or a student brings in a problem that's so big that we can't fix it, even though we think we should be able to fix it. But even calling in reinforcements, we can't seem to get the job done because it's too big. Yes. So I experienced this in my practice. It's it's not uncommon at all. Right. And then it's related to this next problem of our inability to say no saying yes too much and taking on situations that are bigger than what we can actually handle, bigger than what we can actually help instead of referring them to maybe an agency or a larger organization that can meet uh, their wraparound needs, for instance. And we've talked about this. It's important to know the work that other therapists in your area are doing, other helpers in your area are doing. Because if you have others that you can refer clients to, Mm -hmm. it takes some of the burden off of you. That's so true. And so the next next hazards on our list have to do with just the flood of stress and emotions that are coming to you as any kind of clinician or helper. So you're hearing so much stress, you're hearing so many emotions, and you're absorbing those. And you want to help. We we are sensitive. We are sensitive and empathic, and we want to do something about it. We could call this work high touch because we are doing a high level of touch, even if we're not laying hands on the person directly. That that yeah, I'm not sure what to say about that. Well, that we it, we do it covertly too, behind closed doors, like we've mentioned before. So all this emotional labor behind a closed door. And other people don't see when we're successful, just like they don't see when we fail. We're doing this by ourselves. Yes, it can feel very isolating. Um, And then constant empathy, interpersonal sensitivity, and one-way sharing. That's the high touch. Yeah, and one-way caring, too. Like, this is a one-way relationship. Right, right. At its at its most basic definition, it's one way. Um, number 13 on this list, regulation, oversight, and control by external, often unknown others. What does that mean? Well, your credentialing boards, bosses, supervisors, people who look at your work and monitor your notes, and people who could potentially take your license away that we have to be scared of. So Deborah's a psychologist. I'm a massage therapist. This applies to her practice 
much more than mine because when the massage board comes, they want to see my license. They look and make sure there aren't vermin <laughs> in my office. No rats. <laughs> no rats, which is pretty easy for me to accomplish. <laughs> so I feel less impacted by this one. Than oh, you. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. In, in Texas, they used to produce a newsletter that would come come from the state psychology board. And you would see a list of all the people who had been admonished <laughs> across the state for various infractions. And I used to read that and go, oh, that's horrible. Oh, you poor thing. I'm so sorry <laughs> to see your name here. Terrible, terrible. Um, so then the elusive measures of success, the complexity of the human condition, how hard it is to get concrete results, um, and then how do we even measure success? I'd, I'd like to talk. So Deborah and I have been talking about working as a team and working with one client or a family or a couple, and she and I running the session as a, a duo. And we're thinking about doing that because in my practice, I'm able to map dysfunctions pretty easily, which means that a lot of psychologists and mental health care practitioners are actually making physical changes in their clients, which I can show the therapist and the client that are happening in session. So that's one of our goals for the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah really excited about that possibility. And I think it'll help protect us from feeling so sucky. Um, I always find that sharing the load, doing co-therapy is a way to, to help me feel not so sucky. I can't take all the credit, um, but I also can't take all the blame. Yes. It's a shared load. So stay tuned for that. That's <laughs> in the future. <laughs> And some more things. So, so after the break here in a bit, we're going to really dive into what to do about it when you feel like you suck. Um, for now, I think the theme of, of what we want to talk about is forgiving ourselves for being human and giving ourselves a kind of compassion that embraces that imperfection. Yes. Even, even celebrates it, maybe. Yes. So we did a pre-recorded show yesterday with Dr. Chris Carver, and he ended the show with a self-compassion exercise, which I thought was fantastic. He just said, put both hands over your heart yeah, and just take a moment and have some compassion for yourself. Yeah. And I think this is, we both, Deborah and I both did this this morning before sharing with you how sucky we are <laughs> and it felt really good it feels almost radical like uh -huh. i told chris to give yourself compassion right even to look at your faults and go oh i like that i i like that i'm sometimes tongue-tied can't <laughs> find the words i like that i sometimes say the wrong thing the absolute wrong thing isn't that nice um, appreciating that aspect is a part of appreciating our uniqueness. Yes. So 
maybe we can be more human in our session after after doing that pre-record yesterday we were talking about how well deborah has a story is it okay if i share your story sure. about your brother in iraq oh yes thank you and we're about to go on break but i think this is a good story that deborah told me yesterday about how she had to tamp down her emotions yeah. and go in and try to help a family that was in crisis. But she was also going through some very difficult things in her life. Mm -hmm. Is it really necessary for us to hide those things from our clients? That is a really good question and an important story. Yeah, that was the very first client I ever saw in my practicum in graduate school. And my baby brother was actually in Kuwait. Uh, and I was watching the the bombs and the explosions on the TV in the break room and then had to had to go and do my very first session. Kind of a hard moment. Okay, so let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll dive into more solutions for sucking. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Burnout takes a toll on your effectiveness with clients, patients, and students, even your kids. Reconceive brings help for all the gifted helpers out there who want to make a difference, but first need to feel better, more awake, and more creative. Deborah Cox and Tracy Maxfield show you a whole new way to think about mental health and the body, offering insight and inspiration to help bring back the vibrancy and joy to your work in the world. If you teach, do therapy, or provide any kind of human service, it's time to reconceive. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Women Thriving Unapologetically is a sanctuary to land and feel connected through inspiring and powerfully honest conversations with women like you. Each show uncovers new ways to live a life that flourishes, prospers, and grows in spite of life's challenges. Discover valuable tools to heal old wounds, transform your mindset, honor your body, and nurture your unique gifts. Celebrate what it means to be a woman who claims her self-worth, nurtures her connection to spirit, empowers her vision and thrives unapologetically live every thursday at 7 p.m pacific 10 a.m eastern on the voice america empowerment channel it's your world motivate change succeed VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You're listening to Reconceive with Deborah Cox and Tracy Maxfield. Have a question for Deborah, Tracy, or their guests? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now back to Reconceive. Welcome back to Reconceive. 
we're talking about sucking and feeling sad and stupid and failure. Welcome back to our sucky show. Our sad, (laughs) sucky podcast. (laughs) Talk about our sucky, sad practices. (laughs) And so you just told a story about me um, doing my very first therapy session. And, um, you know, it was about the, the night. Well, it was in January and I forget the year now, maybe 1991, 1991. And uh, we were at war in the Middle East and my baby brother was in Kuwait and I didn't realize what he was doing at the time, but I was watching on the screen in the break room with my colleagues, these explosions of orange fire and knowing that he was over there somewhere and then going in, you know, having to just put it all aside and go in and greet this family with an acting out teenager and try to get my mind into it, which was really hard. Right. So we were talking yesterday, is it really necessary to hide your emotions Mm -hmm. in order to help your clients? Yeah. And so there's, there's one of these, so you're there for others. Are you there for yourself? Knowing our imperfections makes us more accessible and interesting. And it also makes us more human in a way that might help our clients build a relationship with us more quickly. And we've talked a lot about the healing power of relationship. Mm -hmm. When you said yesterday, though, that that maybe we don't have to tamp it down, maybe we don't have to hide the imperfection or the emotion or the discomfort in the moment. Maybe we can actually let it be a part of the session. I was like, oh, I don't know about that. Is that okay? I don't I don't even know. Is that allowed? It, yeah, it contradicts a lot of our training, but I think it's worth exploring. <laughs> I do too, as you say it, because I mean, what if we could be free enough with our clients to be fully ourselves? And if we need to go to the bathroom, we get up and go. Right, right. We listen to our bodily needs. It's Maybe it's okay to say, you know, my back hurts today or, you know, my brother is at war and it's causing me some distress, uh-huh. but I still think we can have a positive healing experience here today. To just acknowledge that, put it out on the table. Right. Because chances are at some level, our distress can be felt by the other. Yes. Yes. The mirroring system within people is very strong. Right. I find that out every day when I go into practice. Okay. So So we don't necessarily need to plaster the smile on. I'm guessing that we don't. But since it goes against a lot of our training, we'll tread lightly as we explore this new (laughs) idea. Okay. We'll we'll tread lightly with that. But so so here's... um, something that I would like to invite our listeners to do. Um, Think about when you last felt like you sucked as a human being or as a helper. And I'm sure you're able to come up with something. Everybody is. We all have these days or weeks or even years um, where we feel like we're just failing 
at everything and we're just not measuring up, not good enough. And so allow that to be in one part of your brain while you you give yourself this image that I'm going to relate to you. So think about a mentor who is perfect for you, the perfect mentor for you. And think about what they look like, what they sound like, who they are. Maybe you already know this person, or maybe this is someone you have yet to meet. And just picture them looking at you and picture them hearing you tell about your sucky year, (laughs) The, the passage of time where you have just felt like a complete failure, like incompetent and no good. Tell them all the details. See yourself talking about all the details of why you suck. And then watch them listen to you. And then notice what they say. Notice the look on their face. Notice how they respond to you emotionally. And soak that in. This is real. Your brain is getting the real effect of an ideal mentor. How do you like that? I love it. And it makes me think of how the mentor in my mind is much kinder and much more forgiving to me as a helper than I, than I am to myself. Absolutely. That's always the case, isn't it? It is. It's, it's strange. It is strange. So I actually have this mentor and I've mentioned her on the show, Sally St. Clair. And earlier when we were talking about Margareta, the portrait behind us, Margareta is the great, great grandmother of Sally St. Clair, who is a psychologist in Dallas and has been practicing there for a long time. So Sally gives me that. She, when I, when I feel like I suck, I picture telling her I have had an awful week. It feels like I'm stuck with everybody. I don't know what to do anymore. I've lost all my technique. I love that. I've never tried this, so I'm going to try it because I just found my mentor, Mm -hmm. which I don't have a close personal relationship with her like you do, Mm -hmm. but I call her my forever teacher. Yeah. Her name's Anat Banyal. She does Anat Banyal method, neuromovement, and functional synthesis. But it is so important for helpers to have a mentor. And I love that you're saying we can start with an imaginary mentor. Absolutely. And maybe manifest an actual physical person. I think, yeah, that's wonderful. So what else can we do when we're feeling like this? Well, reaching out. So I've talked about how it's hard for me to self-regulate. If I don't turn to condemned isolation, which is kind of reflexive, Mm -hmm. if I can pull myself out away from that gravity, I always will call somebody and reach out for help. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a big contrast. I either do condemned isolation or I reach out. So (laughs) I'm going to try to start reaching out more and try to get rid of this reflexive response of condemned isolation. Right, right. And maybe have that person in mind who you know is safe 
And you can call them or text them in the moment, even if you don't know how to explain why you're feeling the way you are. Right. Maybe just hearing a hello from them would be enough to uh, make you feel better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I also think basic health practices like getting extra sleep and drinking extra water, eating clean food. Maybe you need some protein and some more greens in your diet. Um, It tells your unconscious that you're worth it. You are worthy of taking care of, which I think counteracts that feeling of I'm unworthy and I'm just bad. Yes, taking care of yourself is important. And I like the next one, treating yourself gently in every way. Mm-hmm. We're so good at beating up on ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I think included in treating yourself gently in every way is breaking away from cognition by focusing on your movements. Oh, yeah. So what does your body feel like in the moment? What is your rib cage doing? What do your feet feel like when they're touching the ground? That is so effective, Tracy. And I think it's because movement counteracts freezing. So when we talked about polyvagal theory recently, we talked about that freeze state, that shutting down state. And it's a kind of dissociation where it can turn into dissociation, right? Yes. Which is where we're really vulnerable to shaming ourselves. And being caught in old trauma cognitions like, I'm terrible, I'm a failure. And so when we can move our bodies in very deliberate, conscious ways, we counteract that tendency to dissociate into the shame spiral. Yes, it's such an easy way to break out of that. And Deborah uh, uh, showed me how Eckhart Tolle talks about it in his work about taking these thoughts and putting them in a an energy ball out in front of you. Okay. So I do that a lot. I get the thoughts out of my head, put them in front of me, and then I start feeling my body. Oh, interesting. Now, this is special for the audience. I want to read the next one so Deborah can stand up and grab her (laughs) pool noodle. So I've never tried this, but after watching her rehearse, I want to try it. (laughs) Do some physical anger work. When you feel that you suck, you're likely angry at somebody besides yourself, but you may not realize it. So here Deborah goes with her pool noodle. Okay, I'm pretending to be angry. I'm so pissed. I'm so angry, but not at myself. (laughs) I love it. So everybody get a pool noodle. I literally have my clients do that. And it breaks trance. Oh, nice. So I'm not dissociated. When I'm doing that, I can't be dissociated. Right. You're in the moment. I'm in the moment. Feeling your anger. Mm-hmm. And hearing that nice whap mm-hmm. sound. Brings it into your body. Because a lot of times when we feel like we suck, we're actually angry with someone else. And we don't realize it. Yes. That's maybe a kind of key point there. It is. And that idea is new to me. So I I need to definitely practice some of this anger work. Yep. Yep, you do. (laughs) (laughs) And then we talked about this on a previous episode, right about it. Uh, Start anywhere, keep your pen moving on the page for Mm -hmm. 10 minutes. And I was reading 
a book by Pennebaker on this, which yeah. was eye-opening to me how just writing these things out can be so healing. It can be. And we're going to bring on a guest in a few weeks who's going to help us talk about this exact thing, writing as a way of healing. Somehow writing about sucking really helps us to get some distance from that awful feeling. Somehow put it put it on the page, put it in a ball in front of you. Yeah, kind of the same thing. It is amazingly helpful. And then reconceive your schedule. See if you can take a day off or a few lighter days. Think about putting space in between your patients, clients. That is really important. I remember having many, many more of these days where I felt like a failure when I was stacking clients in one right after the other with a tiny little 10 minute break in between that I never got. It felt more like I was barely making it. And now I have at least 15 minutes, but usually 30 between each client, which means I can see fewer people, but it's gone a long way toward helping me not feel constantly behind and not feel like I suck as much. I used to do that too, one after the other, after the other, and it made me nervous. But what I didn't realize, it also made my clients Mm. nervous or edgy Mm -hmm. that I wasn't going to be ready to work with them. Mm -hmm. Right. They can feel it. So I know we're coming close to the end of our show today, and I want to invite everybody who's listening to write to us. Um, Write about your stories of sucking. I think it really helps to hear other practitioners talk about feeling like a failure, feeling like a fraud, feeling stupid, feeling like maybe I'm um, unlearning how to do this work. It's really helpful. So write to us at reconceivetherapy at gmail.com. And we will um, lovingly read your letters and maybe read them on the show. Um, to help to help other people. So with that, um, think about your your ideal mentor. Treat yourself lovingly. Put both hands over your heart. And stop trying to hide how bad you suck. <laughs> we all want to know. We all want to know. <laughs> Great. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Tracy. Thank you, Deborah. All right, we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Reconceive. We hope you've learned something today you can use to reconnect and feel better. Tune in next week for more on transforming practice. Until then, have a great week.